Hello everyone and welcome to episode 9 of the History Hotline. So you might have noticed that the music this week was slightly different. That was from a Nigerian artist called Fiki and the song was entitled Hashtag Ensars. At the moment there is a movement going on in Nigeria to end SARS, which is um, the police force, one of the special police forces out there that were and have been accused of corruption, overzealous policing and extorting money from those who have no real right to be arrested in the first place, Um, rape, torture, things of that nature. And unfortunately, um, Nigerians and, you know, allies around the world have had to stand up, stand out and protest against the treatment of the police force. We are going to hear from some people in Nigeria, um, in Britain, that are protesting the treatment of civilians in the country. But first I thought I'd get into the kind of history of Nigerian colonisation because we are looking at a corrupt police force and a corrupt government state that is not serving its citizens in the way it should. And this didn't just occur, you know, this year. It's something that's been a problem for many years now. And it has a history that is rooted in um, colonisation. Nigeria was colonised by the British, uh, no surprise there. There were many other countries such as Kenya, Uganda, Zimbabwe um, and a few others on the continent that were colonised by Britain. And, you know, European colonisation, it had similar patterns and effects around the world, and one of those was to sow the seeds of corruption into government forces and politicians and the state. And as we now see, you know, so many years later, these things are erupting and the Nigerian people have said no more. So, first of all, we'll get into that history and then we will hear from from some Nigerians who are going to explain the movement in, you know, so much better terms than I could ever understand it or explain it to you. And at at this point, the, you know, the protest is, is centred in Nigeria, whilst I know it's a problem in other countries around the world too. You know, it's Nigeria right now that are standing up and in the wake of the Black Lives Matter movement and protests around the world and black people, you know, asking for our lives to be respected. I thought it was only right that we include these narratives today um, and speak about what's happening in Nigeria at the moment. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. It'll be slightly different to what we're, we're used to, but it is really important to me and I think it, you know, it should be important to you too that we try and raise awareness for this political issue that is happening and ongoing right now. So obviously Nigeria was colonised by the British but prior to that, if we go all the way back, um, you know, there were numerous African civilizations which settled in the region that we now know as Nigeria. It wasn't obviously called that before. Um, Islam was brought into the region through the Borno Empire in around 1068. Obviously, I've just skipped a huge history before that. Um, but I think just for the sake of time and relevance, um, we'll, we'll start there. 
And so, yeah, the Bono Empire in 1068 um, brought Islam in and the House Estates as well in around 1385 AD. Then Christianity was brought in around the 15th century uh, by monks from Portugal. But I think all these kind of things as religion being brought into the country, they were a result of trade. Um, Africa was... It has a centralised location in the world. If you look at the map, you know, it's often... Well, it's becoming common knowledge that the map is very Eurocentric and Africa is actually a lot bigger than drawn. But Africa's location in between, you know, the Americas, Europe and Asia, it makes it a perfect spot for trading um, because obviously aeroplanes didn't exist. You traded by water and followed the rivers and the seas and the bodies of water that allowed, you know, movement and the transportation of goods and eventually people. Um, so different empires occupied different parts of the region and this was the same for the majority of Africa and the world to be fair at the time. In the 15th century the transatlantic slave trade begins to impact Nigeria more specifically. Europeans begin to capture people who lived along the coast of Nigeria. Sorry to jump around quite a bit but we'll fast forward to 1851 um, where the British begin their colonisation in 1851, Lagos is invaded and then in 1865 it's formally annexed and as the 1800s continue on, Britain kind of sink their teeth into more and more regions of the area that is now referred to as Nigeria. Now, to make the link between colonialism and corruption in sub-Saharan Africa, um, I will be using an article by Munier M. Mulinge, and Gwen N. Lestide, sorry if I've pronounced her names wrong, um, but they have an article called Interrogating Our Past, Colonialism and Corruption in Sub-Saharan Africa. So I just wanted to use a little um, a little extract sorry, from the article that I think best sums up this kind of link. And the extract reads, The instance of corruption could be best understood in the context of colonialism. It's a systematic use of material inducements to compel African chiefs or administrators to collaborate with them in the pursuit of their colonial project of dominating and exploiting their own peoples. So this basically means that, you know, by using material wealth, colonial powers and forces were able to kind of force and compel African leaders and chiefs at the time or, you know, whoever may have been the powerful, um, whether that be families or individuals, um, to collaborate with them in order to kind of pursue their colonial projects and aims, which were basically to to create wealth and profit for the British crown by exploiting the land and the people of the countries that they were colonising um, so in the case of Africa, it was forcing people into into labour, um, which wasn't something that they were, were necessarily doing previously for the benefit of, you know, pay, and also claiming taxes from these countries. Um, one of the tactics of the British especially was to basically find out kind of who was in charge and if not force um, someone um, whether that be a chief or an administrative person or a family, and making them collect tax from the people in the country or the region. And then an incentive for those people to collect the tax was that the British would let them keep maybe 10% of the tax, 20%, and that incentivised them to collect more tax from more people because they would be more wealthy. Um, and then this idea of kind of wealth-driving motivations um, within the country takes over and the the what i'm saying now it doesn't just apply to nigeria it applies to other 
other nations as well. Um, they go on to say, you know, corruption is the most notoriously per- persistent and one of the most progressively worsening social problems that African countries are facing. Um, and oftentimes when it's studied, a lack of consideration is given to the historical context of colonial- colonialism. Um, and studying when you study corruption in societies, a lot of the studies focus on not necessarily why there is corruption historically, but is there corruption? What does that corruption look like? And how does that impact foreign investment and trade into that country? So a lot of the research tends to come from a financial perspective and an economic perspective, as opposed to actually looking at the why, which takes us back to a history of um, colonialism and, you know, some seeds of corruption which are sown quite early on. So colonialism in Africa was successful due to a strategy of what is known as, anyway, divide and rule structures, which, you know, the colonies kind of favoured one ethnic group, one tribe, maybe one set of people over another and put them in charge, even though the structures of power that they were creating as colonisers were not natural to the people that they were kind of forcing these social structures into. Um, And the result of that was the fact that, you know, as I said, that people were collecting tax and they were incentivised by that because they could keep bits of it. And then, you know, with the taste for wealth, um, people will always kind of think how they can have more wealth and how the generations below them can have wealth and they can become richer and so better opportunities were given to those who kind of cooperated with the colonizers at the time whether that was western education normally given out by missionaries um, government sponsored opportunities and i think that's kind of where we link into this idea of well it's like a persistent not issue because it's not a bad thing necessarily in the world we live in today but there is quite a um an importance put on education within african countries um a lot of african students come to the uk or america to to go to university to get a kind of western degree essentially because they they know that it will be worth more that education that's something that those seeds were sown in in the colonial era and it's the same thing now you know within attainment within african families in britain it's We've seen in statistically, um, you know, West African children in this country tend to outperform their counterparts because of the familial and societal and cultural pressure for them to to perform educationally because of the importance that was part in education at that time, which has, you know, transcended to today. So colonial powers began to, I won't say like lighten their reign because that sounds strange, but as they were kind of leaving these countries to to self-govern they kind of transitioned into this stage of neo-colonialism and it's where i'd say the colonists and this is sorry coming from the articles not just my opinions um colonialists sorry they established like economic social and political structures so that they would continue to run in exactly the way that they set them up to when they invaded and colonized you know how many hundreds of years prior to that so in regards to wrapping up some of these points about colonialism and corruption as I said, um, as we step into neo-colonialism and some of these European powers start to step away, um, in Africa in the 1950s there were quite a lot of independence movements um, to kind of, you know, obviously these countries to be free. Um, but the colonial governments would kind of groom the collaborators, mainly the chiefs, 
um, and they were used to kind of divide the African freedom fighters, betray them to the colonial authorities in exchange for money, rewards or other favours. And those favours were things like, you know, education opportunities, as we said, government-sponsored programmes. And so this was where, you know, you have those people that the colonial forces want to see in power, in power, not allowing their own people to protest because the people in power are benefiting so much from the system of colonization because they are getting monetary reward oh wow um they're getting monetary rewards and other um and so this policy of like divide and rule it's really getting into the fabric of the post-colonial state and there are people so they've basically the you know colonial powers that be have passed on the the book of upholding their colonial systems so the whole point of colonialism obviously is the you know economic benefit that these countries gain by being in control of other countries and so as these countries try and leave africa they realize that they have to have people in power that continue to benefit their system and will continue to make their money and so this is why you see kind of nationalist governments and dictators coming in um into some african countries that kind of just seem to be the same as the colonial forces before them except for the fact that they are now african people and they're now black um so this kind of idea just helps these colonial forces to continue to have their hand in africa whether that be financially because of you know the supply of labor or the actual natural resources which so many african countries you know boast such incredible natural resources that are being you know absolutely exploited and just taken pillaged essentially by the european powers that be so with the kind of some of the african leaders that were put in power they kind of became quite used to a system of doing things for the extra monetary value that they would get or the off you know extra kind of financial incentive that would exist and so and don't get me wrong I'm making a lot of generalizations here this obviously doesn't you know apply to every single country in Africa this article is speaking quite generally and it does give examples of specific countries I'm not going to go into all of them because they're just they're not simply relevant and I don't think they necessarily help understanding at this point because we aren't really going in too deeply we are trying to move over into the the NSARS protest and kind of how how we get there from here and so I think this kind of culture, or the article is trying to explain the fact that this culture of like bribing and offering some kind of incentive before any kind of financial transaction or other kind of transaction in regards to the state is being completed. And so corrupt practices just kind of become in, like not normalised um, because I don't, I don't think that's the right word to use, but they become quite commonplace um, and typical of of the way that these governments work and so embezzlement becomes more you know normal private accumulation from from state deals becomes more normal and this continues on into you know different different government factions within society and within the state and obviously you know this article is very good at you know stating that this doesn't necessarily 
exactly draw a line between colonization and corruption it's not saying this is the only reason why there is corruption in africa right now because obviously every individual leader has agency and has self-determination and if they wanted to change the system in their country they could absolutely do that they do not have to work in a corrupt manner they do not have to take bribes they do not have to embezzle um even if that legacy has been set and the precedence has been there, they are in there completely within their right as leaders to change that and choose not to, um, especially in the case of Buhari. He is literally not even... I don't know what he's doing. He he barely seems to, to want to listen to his to his citizens who are literally crying out for help right now. And so, yeah, as as we've said, no no leader has to continue on in these corrupt ways and the article definitely makes it clear um, however, the seeds were set when these colonial forces essentially started bringing in things and transactions that relied on embezzlement and bribery and paying off people and giving them favours um, in order to get what they wanted done in the countries that they were losing influence in but still remain dominant in. I'm not really going to say any much, any more, any much more, any much more about that. Because I think it's something that maybe should be researched in a country-by-country case as opposed to looking at it how we have done so broadly. But as I said, I didn't want to take up too much time doing that because I want to speak about NSARS and hear from the people that we have who are going to share their opinions on it and explain exactly what is happening. So... um, I was able to speak to a few people and they have... um, So they've sent in the answers to some questions that I asked that I think a lot of people that may not know what this movement NSARS is all about would be asking. And so I'm going to play those clips for you now and you can kind of hear those different opinions um, and then we will summarise them all at the end um, and wrap this episode up. In my own words, I think NSARS is trying to really get rid of... Um, I think it stands for the Special Anti-Robbery Unit. And the reason for that is there's been deep corruption um, and there's been multiple claims of misdemeanors, issues um, that have arisen from the force and people are tired of it, really. To me, NSARS is all about stopping police brutality in Nigeria and letting young people not be discriminated against because of how they dress or what they look like. Um, That's what I initially thought NSARS was about. And... That is what it's about, but I think it's bigger than that. I think it's also not just about ending police brutality, but also allowing Nigerians to just have basic needs that they don't have. Um, From watching videos and stuff, I realised that the pain that people are displaying when they're protesting is not just about police brutality, it's more than that. The NSARS movement to me is the movement that wants to end SARS and spark um, reform in the policing system in Nigeria, which is very corrupt um, and literally filled with murderers, um, rapists, scoundrels who are terrorizing abuse. Um, To me, this movement is personal because I've also been, you know, harassed by the police multiple times and um, there was a time when I was driving, I was uh, in the back seat of a movie with my ex and they dragged him out of the car by his collar through the window. They're very violent and I know a lot of people who have 
way many worse stories. They kidnapped my brothers three times. Um, yeah, this movement to me feels like the beginning of a revolution in Nigeria and the complete overthrow of the government, which is corrupt and doesn't do anything. So in what NSARS is trying to achieve is not new to Nigerians. This is a conversation that's been going on for years. But what has been happening is the IGP um, and the government has been failing them continuously by just reforming this particular unit and giving it a new name and still allowing it to operate. I would say NSARS is, for the first time, what I think is now receiving global recognition and is receiving huge support from people from around the world besides um, Nigerians who are living in Nigeria. And NSARS is about abolishing this particular unit, eradicating it and bringing an end to it operating in the streets of Nigeria. Um, But what has recently happened, um, I believe a a week ago, they said that they disbanded SARS, but then they just said that they're just going to put these officers into different units. And then they brought out that there's going to be a unit called SWAT. And people are just now at this sort of tipping point where they are just annoyed and frustrated and agitated. And they want this particular unit to end. They just don't feel like they need it anymore. But then another thing that I feel like is happening with NSARS, it is bringing about this want and this demand and it feels like it's a stepping stone in Nigerians demanding a better country that is stable and that is strong and it works for everybody not just for the rich and the elite because the wealth disparity in Nigeria has literally gotten worse it people are just tired of getting by now they are tired of the federal government failing them in so many different areas they are tired of governors failing them the people that they have appointed they are tired of of essentially these these you know these public servants failing them in so many areas like education like healthcare and infrastructure and it i hope and i pray that this movement then trickles into birthing a new nigeria that nigerians can be proud of personally with me i don't have any experiences with sars but family members who've experienced their brutality have been arrested by them and have have been harassed have explained to me how sometimes the decisions are made not based on the law but just based on themselves and and what the, the person is feeling at the time which is pretty much ridiculous and i think the corruption is so deeply entrenched that there's been so many stories of people being wrong, wrongly arrested, people being killed, and, and that's where the real issue and the real problems have, have devolved from. So, as you heard, SARS is the special anti-robbery squad, which actually has been disbanded now um, on the 15th of October. However, you know, it's been reported the fact that this unit has literally just been disbanded and been recreated under a new name multiple times um, across the past few years and so it's been renamed now as SWAT and so these protests must continue because they are still protesting the same treatment just because it's under another name it's the same thing and you heard there from some of the experiences that people had with SARS that they are clearly a corrupt force. 
most of you are probably aware of the NSARS movement because of, you know, the fact that it's trended on social media, whether that be Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, or maybe even WhatsApp, you've seen it, you've seen messages come through about it, and you maybe wondered what it's all about, and that might even be the reason you're listening to the podcast today. And I asked the people that um, I spoke to about the movement and what they felt that maybe non-Nigerians or Nigerians living in the diaspora could do to to further the cause, because we can't necessarily go to Nigeria and protest, um, and we might not have a protest in our city. But um, I spoke to them and asked them that question, and here's what they had to say. With this movement, um, essentially it being a, a movement that... Um, was birthed on social media and it feels like there's some sort of um, uprising that is happening um, on social media that is then translating to those who are um, on the ground. Um, The best way for those of us who don't live in Nigeria, who are not Nigerian, or this also goes to Nigerians in the diaspora especially, I think a lot of us are not engaging or interacting with this movement because we don't live there, but we all need to realise it does affect us and we can't have we can't we can't have our brothers and sisters on the front doing the groundwork for us so we can enjoy a better Nigeria when we go there for December. That can't be the case. So the best way for the best and easiest way for us to for us to, to help them and to help this movement is to amplify the voices of those back home. Like that is that is the easiest and the best way that we can help those because unfortunately with the Nigerian government, they will continue to be incompetent. They will continue to fail um, Nigerian citizens. They will continue to ignore them until they are served international embarrassment on a silver platter. And we've even seen this with the London protests that happened a week ago where the Nigerian government had tried to get in touch with the Home Office to end the protest here because they know that if this then receives global recognition, they're going to actually have to face what is going on back home. So to amplify is is as simple as tweeting, retweeting, sharing posts, sharing information, um, using all sorts of mediums to do this as well. Um, just to make sure that this this conversation doesn't die, to to also sign petitions, uh, write emails to Nigerian embassies, and and to donate. And even if you can't donate, just share pages where people who who can donate um, have a, a place place to go to. I, I've pretty much made it my duty to spread information and essentially attack those who love our culture, but not the people and and to make them recognize how complicit you are being um by not um um, helping those um back home because i can't for me it doesn't make sense that people are dying being shot at injured tear gas is being thrown at them and i can't just simply do a hashtag the correlation just doesn't make sense I think people around the world, if you're in an area where they're holding protests, the media attention that is going to come from that is still putting a lot of pressure on the Nigerian government. I think reposting and sharing is still putting a lot of pressure on the government because it's trending and people are seeing more and more of it, which, which will effectively help. I think everyone else who isn't Nigerian, not connected, really, I think it's whether it's joining your fellow protests, um donating sharing spreading the word to your or even just questioning people like 
that are Nigerian to what can you do? I think anything is better than nothing right now. And I think disconnection often breeds kind of, in a way, it kind of breeds complacency with systems because you don't feel the effect. So you kind of have that, like, it's only as far as I can reach type things that affect me. So as you heard from some of our speakers this week, you know, to keep the movement going, donate if you can, share posts, write letters, petition the embassy, the government, um, Nigeria and the government and the people that are complicit within these systems are feeling the level of international embarrassment um, by the fact that, you know, there are protests literally going on around the world. I've seen them in Toronto, in America, um, in in the UK. So there's several in different cities. And this kind of awareness, it will only force the Nigerian government to change. We, we think that, you know, only only positives can come from this and, and we hope and pray that that is the case. And so if you want more information, there'll be links um, on Twitter and Instagram that I'll share of people that you can maybe tap into and follow and kind of read what they have to say. This is just a start. If you've, if you've not heard anything about NSARS before, let this be your starting point, but not your end. Keep going, keep researching um, and do do what you can to help. This is a serious movement um, and... I think it's interesting that it, it is born out of um, colonialism, the things that we don't learn in school about the British Empire and the far and long-lasting reach that it has on some of the countries around the world. It blows my mind. Um, and, you know, not to say this, oh, it's the government's fault in Britain that this is happening right now. Obviously, there's a combination of factors, but it is the case that the seeds were sown, you know, by by the British and by European powers Um in in the years years prior to this so um i'd like to say thank you for listening um i hope this has been an impactful episode and i hope it will bring some change i wanted to use this platform for some good and i hope i've been able to do that so thank you so much for listening have a wonderful week goodbye